What's up, kids? Welcome to Poolside Chats with Dom and Chris, the show where we talk about everything from music production to the spiritual side of music creation. I am Chris. And I am Dom. And here we go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another... Check, check. One, two, check. Dom, Dom knows we're live. He just wanted to check. No, his I mic did, one but just time. make sure. You know, just, oh, you never know. Ne- always, always double check. Safe than sorry, guys. Rather be safe than sorry. Well, welcome back to another fantastic installment of Poolside Chats with Chris and Dom. Dom's taking a few shots right now. We just rocked up the table. The house is in disarray. Uh, Continuum is moving to a new location soon, so we're having a blast. By, by me, I mean I. Dom is yet to partake in the um, the experience of moving, but he will be uh, being is ever so kind to donate his time uh, to help out a little next week, which is great. Well, at least with your studio stuff. Yes, I, I don't a, need you for much else. Yeah, yeah. I don't really want to be needed for much uh, else. I, I hear you, bro. I hear you. So anyhow. Um, I'm going to take a shot. Dom's going to get us uh, rolling here with our first topic of the night. Which was? <laughs> Which was Dawes. Oh, okay. So, so many Dawes in the world. So um, what is a Daw? Digital audio workstation. Actually, I had a teacher that didn't even like that term because people think of Dawes as being the software that we know is like Logic, Pro Tools, Cubase, Ableton, but... Digital audio workstation can actually involve more than just your what we like to call a DAW, which mean, means that your computer is a part of it, your interface is a part of it. Anything that's digital that helps you um, work in the digital realm besides just your software. But what we want to talk about is kind of the DAWs that we know, why we like to use them. Um, so off the top of my head, Chris is primarily in logic uses pro tools when he has to yes um and i am primarily in logic for mixing in ableton for creating and it's his turn to talk my turn to take a shot (laughs) well now that we're off and running yes uh my preferred dove choice is logic uh only because i've been on it since version five and i know it really well uh i have ableton i have pro tools i have digital performer I have Cubase, I have uh, Adobe Audition, and Don't I like about reason. and Reason. I, I man, I haven't opened Reason in two years. I don't um, think that's a. I mean, it's a DAW, but it's, no, it's a DAW. It's a DAW. Um, so I have all those. Uh, we teach several of those at the academy, and honestly, I just uh, Logic is so streamlined for for creating. It's great with MIDI, really good with MIDI. Uh, Pro Tools not so great with MIDI. It's getting better, but you know, it's, it's better not quite with MIDI. There yet. Ableton. Yeah, yeah. Ableton's the best one for MIDI. I'll let Dom kind of speak a little bit on Ableton because that's no. More I'm gonna his let you do house. it, and then I'll just correct you the whole oh, yeah. time. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that sounds. I guess we'll just do it like that. <laughs> yeah. So Ableton, guys. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so Logic, yes. Uh, I love the the MIDI uh, in that. It's really great for songwriting for me. Um, you know, I'm sure if I learned Ableton, it would have been much faster because it's definitely a dog geared towards composing and songwriting. So I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I missed the wheel on that. <laughs> I tried to learn it a couple times, actually. I enrolled in some online courses, I actually spent about probably 500 bucks in classes, went through the classes, didn't practice what I learned, forgot it all. 
And now I just, I only use Ableton for stuff like warping and like small functions. Like if I want to chop like loops up and stuff, I'll import them into Ableton because then you can splice them and put them in a drum rack or something yeah. like that. And then I'll bounce them back into Logic. But ultimately it's really utility based stuff for Ableton. But yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Logic in a second. I'll let Dom kind of talk about the strong points of Ableton. As I know, that's probably the, the DAW of choice for our listeners and honestly the majority of people. I think the most recent poll that I saw online was that 66% of people use Ableton. Ableton, and then it goes down to Logic and then Pro Tools after that. I think you're missing FL Studio. That's huge up there. I don't know why that wasn't even on. That's a good question. Yeah. Maybe it was just a janky poll that I saw. I don't remember where even those statistics are from. It should be FL or Ableton, then FL or Ableton, and then... FL like is definitely slight sliver. We can even read the the writing of everything right, else. Right, right, right. No, I, I, I will say FL is what I learned on when I was 15. I was just getting uh, into DAWs. My buddy was a hip hop producer and he had it. So he taught me how to use it. And then I actually got a, a cracked copy of um, Acid's or Sony's Sony, yeah. Acid Pro. It was Acid Pro 3. That's how old that stuff was. And then I had Cakewalk too. So that's what I kind of, because I was playing guitar, so I wanted more yeah. audio stuff. He was obviously a hip-hop producer, so he, he did Fruity Loops for the beats. But yeah, anyways. Always do Fruity Loops for the beats. Always. Get a Fruity Loops so you can do those beats, those trap beats. <laughs> um, I, yeah, love Ableton mainly for the scene view. You can just have a bunch of squares of beautiful musical nuggets, and you can just move them around. And uh, arrange a song with scenes, and it's very performance. It has a very nice performance feel, hence the Ableton Live nomenclature. And it's, I just love it. It's just one of those things where Ableton was my first DAW, and then once I started getting more serious about mixing, I got Logic, and um, it was it was really nice uh, to have that platform to mix on. But one thing Ableton doesn't do that. Logic does and a lot of other DAWs do is that when you have your plugins, they are not just little squares that are um, filling out a mix a mix view where you can just bypass a bunch of things easily. And Ableton's very interactive, so they have all the parameters pretty wide open for you, and every plugin has a um, a square on it where you can adjust. You can set two parameters and kind of do like a live modulation of any two parameters in a plugin, and it, it gets pretty involved, but it's really nice for live stuff and that's why they call it Ableton live. But yeah, I just love it for creating great with MIDI. For some reason plugging in MIDI notes in Ableton. I've never tried FL studio. So if you're an FL studio uh, user and you're like, it's just as good, it's just as easy, then that's cool. I've never used it, so yeah. I can't relate, but yeah. I just know in Ableton, everything's just so streamlined. I can just, I think my MIDI note per minute is a lot faster than <laughs> my MIDI note per minute in Logic. Uh, I think Chris's dog's getting into something tasty. Let's go rescue it. Okay, cool. Um, sweet. All right, so yes, um, love love Ableton for live. I know you can DJ with it. You can do a lot with it. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff there with live guys. The the key the Ableton push and APCs and all that cool stuff are great. Um, so yeah, definitely would support Ableton for anybody out there who's just getting into production. If you're going to learn a DAW, that's honestly probably the DAW to learn because it's kind of the future. And it can do everything. It yeah. doesn't do everything as smoothly as like Pro Tools or Logic when it comes to recording, mm-hmm. but it, it really does. It's just the interface is a little bit funky and it. it's only reason why it's weird for me is because I said my first DAW was Ableton, but the first thing I ever used was Pro Tools. And so I did get used to recording some stupid little guitar riffs and stuff into a Pro Tools like DAW. 
um, that had a very clean uh, editing window. And uh, Ableton does the same thing in its edit window. It's just not laid out the same. And if you come from a Pro Tools or Logic background, it definitely feels weird. And it's, it's something about it just doesn't feel as streamlined, even though it does the exact same thing. But yeah, um, Ableton has my favorite stock plugins. That's something to say about it. I feel like you could last with Ableton stock plugins longer than most. Um, I feel like Pro Tools stock plugins gets used the most of any yep. because that's just been an industry standard forever. Mm -hmm. And whenever you hear industry people talking about any DAW, it's always Pro Tools. And they're like, oh yeah, I just threw Dverb on that, which right. is a very popular but not very good reverb right. that comes with Pro Tools. Right. Yes, uh, the, the the stock plugins in Ableton, I will say, are great. Uh, the one feature of Ableton is you do get the Cytomic Glue plugin for free. And as an owner of the Glue, uh, which costs money, I will say that it's nice to have it in the DAW. So that's a really great SSL-style bus compressor. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, I think Ableton's a great way to go. For me, though, um, I feel like I'm very lucky to have been in Logic because Logic is uh, as close to Pro Tools as any DAW that I've worked on as far as functionality is concerned, but it's not nearly as complicated. Pro Tools has a lot of features and um, you know extended menus where you can really get surgical and really dive into the software on a very, very, very intensive level. For my productions and what I do as an artist and the people that I mix for, I've never needed that kind of uh, menu control or stipulations over things. Like I've never used a SMPTE time code for anything. I've never used... You can do that in Logic. I know. There's a lot of things you can do in Logic oh, yeah. still too. Yeah. No, for sure. And it's like, it can do it all. But what I'm saying is like, the, the if you want to do something in Logic, there's a way to do it on a more intense level in Pro Tools, most likely. So it's like, that's why for me, I've never needed it. I have it. And when I get sent mixes in Pro Tools and I'm, I'm, I'm forced to work in Pro Tools, I'm totally cool with it. But I'm just not as fast because I know Logic really well. So I think the mixing intensive window in Logic is my favorite part about it. You know, I obviously do a lot of producing and composing in Logic, but the mix window, the way the mixer is laid out uh, is great. The The only drawback that I like the Pro Tools mixer for better is with a stereo track, you can pan the left side, let's say 40% and the right side, like 56%. Whereas in Logic, it's an interleave stereo fader. So it's like, it's it's panned hard right and hard left. You can't pick the panning positions of a stereo yeah. fader. So there are some drawbacks about Logic and Pro Tools is definitely ahead of the curve with those little minute things that make it a little bit more professional in models analog consoles. But ultimately, I like the mix flow of Logic. I think that's its, its major strength is the mixing environment. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to say that we're just going to be spouting. I mean, it's up until now, we've just been spouting off random information about random DAWs up until this point. And uh, I just wanted to say that we're talking about ones that we've obviously had experience with and that we like. Um, and it doesn't matter which DAW you use. There's people I know who are trying to f switch over to Ableton from FL studio, even though there's been people who have made careers out of using FL studio and they know it. And one person, all she said was, uh, I just don't like the way FL studio looks. And so she's going to buy a substantially more expensive Dodge just so she doesn't have the look of FL studio, even though that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. Um, so little things like that are no reason to switch over to a new DAW. You need something a little bit more substantial than that. Um, 
definitely try out these things before you buy them too. Don't, if your buddy who happens to be a great arranger is using Ableton and using FL Studio and you think that the reason why your stuff isn't as good as his or hers is, and you think it's because they're using a different doll than you, it's not the case. No. Um, it's, no. um, there's certain no. things like, and I'm pretty much talking about FL Studio and Ableton because I know people who have done just as good of things in both DAWs. Of course, there's going to be things that you can do in Ableton and FL Studio that you can't do in Logic and Pro Tools just because they're so geared towards, almost so geared towards that EDM lifestyle now. Um, but uh, when you have two comparable DAWs, don't get in the mindset that one's better than the other. Just get to know one very well. Mm. Mm-hmm. whatever one you're fastest with especially like let's talk this is talking to all the mixing engineers out there now when you think um when you think you need to switch just don't and get to know the one you have um unless there's some big reason why your DAW's holding you back like some weird plug-in formatting mm-hmm. thing i don't know um just get to know the one you have get really fast with it that's what chris did he got super fast with Logic, and that's why that's the main reason why he doesn't like Pro Tools because he knows so many <laughs> shortcuts in Logic, and uh, he's just super, super fast at it. Is she going to be able to breathe under there? Yeah, she likes being under the blankets. Sweet. Yes, yes. In fact, what I did with Logic for me, because I've been on it for so long, is I've got my own custom key commands for all the functions that I use on a regular basis. And when I jumped over to Logic X, it asked me if I wanted to import all those key commands. So when people work on my system like Dom, they hate it because one, I'm on a magic mouse, which is great. Two, I've got my OS X configured in a way which gives me flexibility, which is great. And three, I have my own key commands imported. So all the key commands for the most part are changed to my liking. So it's kind of a nightmare for other people to work on my system, but it's great for me. Everything is very streamlined and I know exactly what I want to do. And I really think guys to touch on this, um, workflow is I guess the best word to describe here is that no DAW sounds better than another, but it's about your particular workflow and what you want to do. So like for instance, me having multiple DAWs at my disposal, I use each DAW selectively for its own features that I personally enjoy. Like for instance, you cook with one, yeah, bathe with the other, yeah, yeah, brush my teeth with one. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's kind of like here's my setup. This is my personal way of using it. When I need to edit and chop things, I use Ableton. Mm-hmm. When I want to uh, analyze something for mastering, I use Adobe Audition. When I want to maybe print tracks, let's say I have like a stem mix that I'm working on with like eight layers. Pro Tools master faders do have a higher resolution than other like stereo faders, kind of like VCAs, but a little different. So I might use that for just hardware. And then Logic, I'm doing all mixing, composing, and arranging in there. So, you know, for me, that's how I use the multiple DAWs together, which is great. But most of the time, it's just about my workflow. So I would say define a workflow that works best for you. And there's no sense switching DAWs. Like, trust me, guys, like I've made the decision myself. And there's a reason why, like Dom right now is in Pro Tools classes. And I haven't really taken him up like I thought I was going to on him teaching me Pro Tools because I just don't want to invest the time learning it. I'd rather be investing the time in mixing or in doing something that's more important, that's more creative or like more in my wheelhouse because I just don't feel like Pro Tools is ever going to be a big part of my future, you know? Yeah. um, What are two things that you wish that Logic had that Pro Tools has? Good question. Um, I would have to say it would be the the thing I already mentioned, 
about uh, stereo files not being interleaved mm. and being able to pan Let's them. Let's say three things then. Three things. Okay. That uh, Pro Tools has a much easier conversion ratio between sample rates than Logic does. Um, so I can go swiftly to like 96K if I wanted to in Pro Tools um, through their import settings where Logic... Um, there, it's not as uh, it, it's doable, but I've I've found it to be easier in Pro Tools. So I would say to simplify changing of sample rates and stuff like okay. that and importing. And then another thing about Pro Tools would be the automation, the the variances yeah. in automation, different yeah. automation patterns. Yeah, those little things the, like that's really cool. Um, yeah. That's one of mine. I I like the longer throw faders and Ableton Pro Tools does it and. Ableton and Pro Tools does this. I'm sure other DAWs besides Logic, you can hold down control and you can make the faders move um, at a more fine. They're, you make the, fi- uh, the more fine, yeah. basically. Um, yeah. And so they're not as coarse. And even when you get to lower mm-hmm. levels, you can still do it because usually it starts jumping by 0.5 dB at one point once you get too low. Right. There's an um, option, too, in most DAWs where you can actually set the faders to be a different... I, I don't know the terminology off my top of my head, but I think it might be called exponential or something yeah. like that. But it like it, what it gives you yeah. is higher resolution yeah. at the bottom. And of the I fader. wish that the faders were just taller, too. I wish they're just yeah. twice as tall in Logic just to be a little bit more aesthetically pleasing and just have a little bit more throw um that and then being able to bypass all the plugins at once Mm, you can do that in pro tools yeah Mm, that's cool yeah you can just it's really easy to bypass a bunch of plugins Mm, interesting but yeah it's basically it's a lot of little things and then pro tools does a lot doesn't do a lot of little things that logic does that i can't Mm -hmm. stand like Mm -hmm. when you make buses nothing's automatic Mm -hmm. which is good if you're learning signal flow but if you understand it i don't have to go i mean actually no it there is a way to do it really quick it's just not in it doesn't do it automatically every time yeah but you just have to know where to go for it yeah no like there's a lot of cool things about pro tools i I think pro tools is an awesome daw and honestly if i would have got started with pro tools i'd be on it now just like like everyone else in the industry like that's what happened no for sure they started on pro tools no for sure and i i know like a lot of the guys that i actually watch that i actually like you know they're still in logic and stuff so it always feels good when i watch a pro you know who's making you know money as a a a real big time record producer kind of thing or mixing engineer to see them using that i'm like okay logic ain't so bad you know oh none of it's bad it's all about your product no no but it's just you know it's the stigma out there guys and i know you feel like like this is kind of like eating at you sometimes too is like you see people you admire using a certain DAW, you want to replicate their workflow, or you see them doing certain things, you're like, oh, I want to be able to do that, but oh, I don't know how kind of thing. Yeah, keeping it more into this circle, I think that to um, something that's analogous would be more like wanting to switch over to Ableton from FL Studio, because it just seems like everyone's using FL Studio, and then you see some of these top producers using Ableton. And, um, but I think there's so many top producers using FL studio oh, these days are. too, yeah. that it just, no, it doesn't matter. It, but. The DAW is irrelevant. It's just kind of like, I know it's something we all, cause I've jumped back and forth between it three or four times in my career. That's why I have so many DAWs yeah. on my computer and I've spent the money on them is like, Oh man, I, th- I really want to do that now. And then I get into it. I'm like, I don't want to learn how to like use my DAW for 10 hours a day for the next two weeks. You know, I just want to make music kind of thing. So I think to wrap up the yeah. DAW topic, it would be know what your workflow is about. So like, for instance, I know that a big part of Dom's workflow is composing music in Ableton and then mixing it in Logic. And that's going to be probably the way he works for a long time. Mine is composing in Logic and mixing in Logic and then maybe getting over into Pro Tools if I want to do a STEM hardware or something like that. So did you miss? Is that yeah, it's your shot. 
So um, I think it all comes down to workflow, guys. Just know what you want to achieve and know what your specific goals are for the future. Like, look at where you are now, okay? And if you're... Good shot, Dom. Uh, Dom has won a game. So if you're if you're in a position right now, okay, let's say that you feel that... And this is a big topic. Let's This will be our, a seamless segue right here into um, talking about what I believe to be the pyramid of, of, of we'll call it, um, music. We'll call it the creation of art. Okay. Because right now we are in this interesting time moving into 2017 or, you know, like, like where technology has ratified the music making process globally. And now back in the day, it was segregated processes. So, you know, there was a a, a songwriting phase where you were in a band or you were at home writing songs, scratching out ideas, okay? And then you would show up at a studio or a buddy's a friend's house or something that had equipment and you'd pre-produce and you'd think, okay, and you'd take notes. What do we want to do in the pre-production? Then you get to the point where you track and record and you compose and then it would get into the production of that. So like, okay, now that we've got the tracks down, is the chorus here? Is it eight bars? Is it 16 bars? Where does the solo come in? When do the drums drop out? All part of the production phase. After the production phase, you complete the arrangement. Once the arrangement is done, you move on to mixing. Once you get done with mixing, you move on to mastering. So you can see there's clear, like defined steps, all right? You obviously can't get to mastering if you don't have a composition. So the point is that now it's all condensed into one theme called making music. So these lines or these steps in the pyramid have totally evaporated because if you think about the bottom of the period, the pyramid, which is songwriting and composition, that's going to be a big chunk of that pyramid. Like it's going to take up probably 30% of the overall pyramid. If your song isn't composed, then the production means nothing because you don't have a song that you're happy with. If you're not happy with the song, you can't mix. So the thing is, is when we talk about workflow, it's where is the bottleneck in your workflow? Where is the issue in your workflow? And if that can be ratified with a selection of DAW or an addition yeah. to a new DAW, go for it. So let's say, for instance, you're a hell of a songwriter. You pull out your piano or your guitar or whatever. You get into Logic or Pro Tools, whatever you're using. You're like, oh, man, the song isn't coming together the way I liked. Well, what is that? That's an arrangement composing issue. Maybe if you had Ableton and you could clip select and you could play lane simultaneously and audition parts, maybe that would be advantageous yeah. for you. So... The thing is, though, is that's why you really have to have your long-term mindset in mind. It's like, think about your skill set. Think about where you are now. And if you're somebody, for instance, that's struggling with mixing in the mixing stage of things, and Ableton is challenging for you to mix, and you want that whole console feel laid out in front of you, and you feel like that would help you learn signal flow, learn mixing, maybe a $200 investment in Logic's a good idea to help you with that. So again, it's all about your vision and what you think you want to achieve and ratify and base your workflow on your decisions that you invest in with DAWs or plugins or really anything. I scratched and it's open table. Yeah. It's funny how there's no segregation of the mind or thought in this whole uh, music creation process anymore. We used to have, like Chris was saying, a process where people would basically only focus on the arrangement. And if they did record something, it was always a demo, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, these are, this is our demo tape or this. Yeah. Here's what do. Yeah. And they, most people, because technology was so bad for the home studio, ever imagine that they would actually record something that's professional quality. And now things are getting so close that that last 10% or 20% that you need to make something professional isn't 
that apparent. So people are just always reaching and reaching for that industry professional sound. And it's so close that it almost fools people into thinking that they're going to get there. And mm-hmm. you can, I mean, and that's all subjective as well. Cause who says you need the perfect sound to be popular? Cause that's when it comes back to your song right. and your arrangement. Right. But so many people, it's just getting so close now. It's just, there's definitely not demos anymore. Everyone's trying to complete stuff on their own. And the main thing, the main point of this is that there's just pressure on everybody to get stuff done all by themselves because they have quote, I'm using air quotes right now, all the tools to do it themselves. Right. But I think one thing that's misleading, and I'm glad that Dom brought this up about the industry is one, uh, Dom mentioned the word perfect. And if you guys are striving for perfection, you are, uh, no, well, not only that, but you're gonna, you know, I'm, uh, I'm solids. Um, you're, you're going to fail because perception is an illusion. Nothing in the world is perfect. So that's step kind of cog one to this cog two of what Don was talking about is that the problem is, is that it's great that we have all the tools to be able to do it ourselves, but let's be real guys. I'm going to be very blunt with you. And if you're offended by this, I wish I could apologize, but you need to hear the truth. Um, Producers are not engineers. Engineers are not songwriters. Songwriters are not mastering gurus. Like, if you want to work on all these things, by all means, go right ahead. But if you think that you're going to be a master of a craft, and as Malcolm Gladwell says, takes a minimum of 10,000 hours, you got about 30 or 40 years before you're a master composer, songwriter, mixing engineer, mastering engineer. It's like, people, it's unfortunate because now... Anybody with $2,000 can walk into Guitar Center, buy a MacBook Pro and a bundle of plugins, and now all of a sudden they are a recording artist, a songwriter, a producer, a composer, an arranger, a mixing engineer, and a mastering engineer. And it's like, I hate to break it to you guys, but just because you own Ozone doesn't make you a mastering engineer. It means that you're learning the craft of mastering and you have a great product to be able to do that. But the problem is, is there's a reason why there's a separation. There's a reason why, okay, take the one of the big songs right now. Um, I looked at the credits the other day by the Chainsmokers, all right? Yeah. A lot of people are very familiar with these guys. They're huge right now. If you look up the all credits to their newest track, I don't know what it, what it's called. I'm sure Dom can maybe name drop it for me. Uh, it's everywhere. You guys have heard of it. It's all over the radio. Do you know that under the credits, there's over 35 composers, like world-renowned composers that do movie scores, et cetera, that wrote that song? The Chainsmokers didn't write shit. They didn't. They might have like thrown a couple things in Ableton and used Serum a couple times or something like that, but that song was written by professional songwriters. Now, the chain smokers don't walk around saying they're songwriters. They call themselves producers, which is what they actually are. Yeah. They take a song, a collection of sounds and samples, they mangle it, contort it, put it together and say, I want my snare to have this tone. I want the drop to have that riser. I want this to come in at three minutes and 33 seconds and hit hard. That's what a producer does. But they're not claiming to be songwriters and they're not claiming to be mixing engineers. So this is where the line blurs and it's like the industry is telling you you can do everything. And I'm not saying you can't, guys. I'm just saying like I feel like the cardinal sin of parenting these days is people tell their kids they can do whatever they want in their life no matter what. It's a lie. You can't. I'm sorry to tell you, but you can't. You can do what you're specifically good at, what your strengths are, and what you're most passionate about. And you can do that damn well. But that's if you focus your whole life practice on getting good at that one or two things. Like if you think you can walk in the music industry and be those seven tasks all simultaneously and be successful, you're tripping. But you can get mildly good at a few of those and have a lot of success if you develop your career. But I just want to share that with you guys because it's something that 
I learned really bluntly, like I, for instance, five years ago, wanted to start a record label. And I approached the manager and I said to the manager, I said, hey, I want to start a record label. And he's like, but you're a producer and an engineer. I said, yeah, but I want to start a label. He's like, the only way you can start a label is to stop producing and engineering. And I'm like, well, I want to do both. He's like, you can't. He's like, you need to pick a path, get damn good at that path and define yourself by that. He's like, no one does it all. And I think it sucks because we're all lied to saying that we can if we just spend enough money. But guys, it's it's about the time you invest because it takes minimum 10,000 hours to get good at something. Yeah. So I just, I want to really portray that when you're thinking about workflow and you're thinking about where you want to go for your future, like really have that in mind. Cool. I think there's enough said about that. Yeah. Um, well said. And... Uh, if you think you can do it all, by all means, try. Go for it. By all means, try. We are not here to tell you what you can or can't do. We're here to say what we think from our past experiences and watching a lot of people try to do these things. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, thank you guys listen to us talk about that enough. Um, we have, we want to touch up on drums. Yeah. Let's take a poll from the listeners. What do you guys think? Listeners say drums. <laughs> Sweet. Um, what I love about drums is that they are always my compression tester. <laughs> no matter what compressor I have, um, if I have a stereo pair of anything, a plug-in, analog, anything. Why I is that? Explain your logic behind that. They have everything. You know, it's what does just, that mean? Um, Tell me specific. If I was new to compression... And I did not understand what a compressor was. And I said, Dom, how do I learn how to compression sounds? And you say, put it on drums. Explain that. I love, yeah, it's because of the transients of drums. And drums get really defined or squashed. Or they just really react to compressors in an obvious way if you have a decent setting on. And I've just, you can hear it the best. That's just all I hear is that like vocals are, you know, it takes a hard time. It's, it takes a while to hear the transients popping out on vocals you know with the slow attack or something but drums it's like you can start squashing them and it's just really satisfying you can hear the distortion it adds really easily it's just fun interesting yeah. it's just it really has to do with the transients so you can hear the attack of the compressor the best on drums i feel because mm. mm. like bass you really have to start digging in hard um start getting a little pop um drums it just they just react very well mm. it's an interesting point i would have to say that i i personally um haven't tested a lot of compressors on drums, but I, I can see why that would be very valuable. Oh, so much fun. Well, yeah. Um, it's obviously good. They got the most swing, the most activity, yeah. et cetera. So I, I could honestly see that. Um, I think that, yeah, you know, working with uh, drums is a great place to start uh, for compression. I think that's awesome. Um, I think for... For me, when I think of drums, you know, I think of the backbone, you know, that to me, drums are the backbone of music. And it's been very interesting the last um, two years for me because drums have changed so much. Um, I come from rock and pop. So to me, drums were, were, were the backbone. You know, the drummer, I mean, playing in live bands, the drummer is always the saddest person in the band, you know, because the, the singer gets all the girls. The guitarist is always front row center. The bassist is like kind of cool, but no one really wants to talk to the bassist. And the drummer is like the guy in the back, like holding it down. Yeah. But no one's running up to like, oh, dude, those drums were so sick, you know? So it's like, 
to me, the drums were always the glue. Like without a good drummer, uh, the band was nothing. You know, and it's like a lot of guys knock a band like ACDC or something, but it's like it, it's it's simple. It's like you want a rock solid, consistent beat that doesn't change, that's dependable and reliable. And that's what a drummer is to me. They hold the they are the glue that holds the song together. If you have a shitty drummer, you're in for timing problems, and your your music is not going to sound good, no matter how great your guitars are tuned, etc. But now that we've moved into electronic, everything is quantized to a grid and everything is very level match as far as velocity is concerned. There's no humanization to it unless you take the time to program that in as a producer. And drums have really changed. And especially in EDM, the kick is massive. You know, it's not something tucked in the back to keep the cadence. You know, it's like a, a dominating top five element. You know? Oh, it's huge. Snare is the and same way. That was way. a small one. That was a small one. That really, no, Dom's not exaggerating. That is small. Um, in fact, I just did, I finished that uplifting transmix, and the one thing the guy said is, hey, I'd like some more kick, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh my God, there's so much kick. Like, all I can hear as an engineer is kick. But it really goes to show from the artist's perspective, and that's why I love working with people on mixes, as I'm, I'm like, oh, more kick. Okay, that's what the artist wants. That's what yep. people want. So it's just, it's just interesting. So I'd say, you know, for me, when I think of drums, the word prominent comes to mind like I think like drums now are a very prominent place in the mix and I think it makes music interesting now because you have to balance rhythm and melody almost like 50 50 back in the day or even five years ago it was like 70 30 you know the rhythm was like the groove behind the melody now they're competing forces yeah um I'm well you take a shot um I agree every with everything that Chris said um and it's I like that drums are more prominent now, honestly, because I really like a good rhythm section, and I like being able to mix bass and drums a little bit higher than normal because that's what gets me going as a mixing engineer. Um, but with that being said, um, I guess I'll just spout out some of my favorite processes for mixing drums, regardless of the genre, really. Um, and the main one's just going to be parallel processing. If yeah, especially in this day and age, if you want those drums to be massive at all, you definitely have to use some parallel processing, whatever that means to you. Um, it means RMS, people. If no, you haven't but I mean, tuned in before, it means RMS. No, even if it means you're not compressing your parallel chain, though, because you're just going to be getting more volume, which, yeah, can, you know, RMS. RMS. But compression is really going to help you get that RMS if yes. you parallel. But, I mean, yes. sometimes you can just saturate the hell out yep. of a, yep. another parallel yep. processing chain. but. That's, yeah, I just love affecting drums more than anything. I think they just change the most. I don't know. I just love, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time just being creative with them. Drums are essential. I, I wasn't by any means saying that I'm unhappy with the fact that drums are more predominant in the mix. I'm simply oh, saying no, that they I, are. Yeah. No, for sure. And I would have to say, you know, yes, obviously parallel processing is huge. A little secret uh, from me to you guys, literally that my signature maneuver in my workflow is parallel processing. I mean, if you only knew, I mean, but it's, it's egregious. I mean, it's very, very egregious. It's so egregious to the fact that I sometimes don't even process the stems. I just duplicate them and parallel something else in. Like I was just working on um, a track and uh, the artist was very particular about his snare sound. I personally didn't think it fit very well in the mix at all. It sounded like a white noise burst then it did a snare. So rather than touching that sound, I duplicated the layer, created my own sound based on his sound below that and then blended that in um, just to add some bottom end in, which is which was great. Um, so I think for me, 
a lot of times with samples, and this is like the tricky thing about EDM, yeah, is when people submit a mix to me personally, um, they're really stoked about every sound they gave me yeah. because they it's bought like, the sample It's like, why are you getting pack, this mix? Right? And that's that's the tricky thing is that this is what I was talking about earlier with like the, the stages, the pyramid and mixing yeah. is that the producers are mixing engineers now. So it's like when you get a mix, they don't want you to change the tone of the snare. So then you change the tone of the snare with EQ and compression. Maybe you take some of the sustain out. Maybe you add a little bump around 300 or whatever. Then you send it back and they're like, what'd you do to my snare? And I'm like, I compressed it and added EQ. They're like, it sounds different. I'm like, because it has compression and EQ on it. Like, obviously. And they're like, I don't want it to sound like that. And I'm like, why am I mixing this then? Like, what what is it that you want me to do that I'm not... Well, and they say, make it sound better. And I'm like, okay, I... I, I I'm, I'm having a difficulty understanding how I can do that if that's what you want. So it's crazy because of all these sample packs now, think about it. You are an artist, which is probably the majority of our artists listening. You spend a hundred bucks on samples or whatever. You like the tone of the kick and the snare. So the question I have for you is, what are you going to do to the drum mix in the mix if you're already happy with the samples? And one of two things I feel will happen. Either A, you're going to overcook the samples and you're going to change them tonally. Maybe that's what you want. Or B, you're going to leave them alone. Those are really your only options now because everything coming right out of the box, right in the DAW via sample packs is already pre-compressed. It's already pre-EQ'd. Most of the time it has delay and reverb and everything mm -hmm. else on it. So the question really becomes is with drum workflows now, you know, how deep do you guys really want to go for your own productions? Because usually, especially if you're buying high quality sample packs, they're going to sound really good right out of the pack. Yeah, and just using your faders is going to be your your best weapon. And then, I yeah, parallel processing because these samples are usually really cooked, as you were saying, and you can easily overcook them by using more EQ and compression. And uh, I feel like people just do too much. And the reason why parallel processing is so nice is because in the long run, you can't really hear it. You you it you hear what it sounds like when you solo the parallel processing chain, but um, in the end, when you, you blend it in, it adds a lot, but it's not so noticeable that people tend to know what you did exactly. And it's really nice because it makes a track sound better without being incredibly obvious. And so that really helps in that situation where the guy wants his snare to sound better, but he doesn't want it to change a whole lot. And so you can change, you can change it a lot and then blend it back in. And then it's just like, whoa, this got beefier and louder or whatever. And it just, it's just cool. But it yeah. is cool. Yeah. No, parallel processing by far uh, a great way to work. I think another great way to work with drums is uh, bussing drums and a little trick that I do, um, and this was through years of trial and error, is traditionally in music, all the drums go through a drum bus. So if you're new to bussing and subgroups, essentially what you would have is you'd take all the outputs of your drum channels, all the samples, all the kicks and snares and hi-hats and all that good stuff, and you'd route all those outputs to one singular output. And you'd then create an AUGS track, and you would create the input on the same output and feed all the drum signal into that channel. So what you'd have is, let's say you have 12 drum layers, you then run all your 12 drum layers through one stereo bus. Um, so this is traditionally how drums were done. But now, 
what I'm doing is I'm actually separating the layers and doing them independently and creating multiple drum buses. So I'll have a bus for just kicks, especially if the kicks are layered, a bus for just snares, especially if the snares are yeah. layered, which most often they are. And then generally a bus for the rest of that. And I can group percussion and highs and all that kind of stuff together. And then I have three drum buses and I level match those to figure out, okay, now I have complete control over the kick versus the snare versus the rest of the drum kit. And I find that working that way gives you much more balance. And for EDM especially, yeah. then you can control the bus compression other things by being able to manipulate the kick and the snare which is going to trigger the compressor harder than probably anything else in the mix so that's just how I work so you're saying that you still compress the them as a whole but bust them separately beforehand um, what do you what are you saying because okay, so, you sounded like you were saying that you were still pushing them into a compressor oh as yeah a whole. absolutely so you're yeah. still doing the normal drum bus compression but it's different because um, what what I'm doing is, okay, let's say, for instance, let me break this down into three phases. So kick, snare, and the rest of the drums, okay? Okay. So if the kick is going into their own kick bus, that's... So let's say you have double of both elements, just because that's the only reason why you do that, is if you had a, two a kick layers and you also had snare layers. Right. Because there's no reason to bus a single kick into its own bus. No, but my workflow, I do it anyways, just because I like to have, like, when I my mixer's laid out, I have all my subgroups in a certain section. Yeah. And yeah. I just like having a kick fader there so I can tweak it. Because I use the artist mix controllers so I can have eight faders right yeah. there and quickly mute the kick track, but that's just how I work. Um, so yeah, if it's a single kick, I would create the kick augs just for the kick, but I'd have nothing on it, uh, essentially, because I would do that on the on the actual channel strip for the kick. Snares are always layered these days, so I would definitely have compression gluing the two snare layers together. So usually it's a bottom top or bright dark or uh, like a pop and like a wash, something like yeah. that. So I glue those together because I want my snares to sound like one sample. Like if you're hearing two snare layers in a mix, I didn't do my job. Like my job is to make it sound like one cohesive sample. Um, and I think that for the rest of the drum kit as well is I, I like to use a dual mono compressor on these because I don't want like the hi-hat if the hi-hat is panned 37% to the right. I don't want that to trigger whatever's happening on the left. So I use a dual mono compressor, usually an SSL style or something like that to kind of pump and groove with it, usually at a two to one or four to one ratio. And um, I want to gel all those layers together. So now what I have is then I have a confliction. I'm like, okay, my kick is either too loud or too quiet. My snare is either too loud or too quiet. And now I have control of the whole drum kit. So now with three faders, I can blend all these levels together. And then to answer the second part of the that's question. That's always how it's done though. Yeah, that's what I... I, I don't know why you're asking me the question because that's what I explained. No, the first but time. you you said it took you a while to get that. But anytime you dr you bust drums together, you always have multiple faders going into it to adjust the compression. Not that part. What took me a while to figure out is I would route my kick and my snare to the same bus as the rest of the drums, and then I would just route the snare to the rest of the bus. So what I have now is three separate faders: one for kick, one for snare, one for the rest of the drum kit. And what I found through massive mm -hmm. trial and error is in the mastering phase is I found what would happen is the peak limiter or whatever last compressor you have on the chain is going to make the kick or the snare approximately one decibel quieter than I wanted. Every mix that I did came out this way. I'm like, damn it, the snare is too quiet. And what was happening was the peak limiter was catching those peaks. Those are the biggest transients in the yep. song once the mix is done. So that's what I was finding is a lack of control over those two elements in an EDM. As you guys know, the kick and the snare are very vital. So that's why I started separating it into three 
three. And the trial and error took place because I wanted to just use one because in the mix, it sounded so good congealed to one. I'm like, that's the perfect balance. But as soon as the limiter came on, as soon as the noise floor came up, as soon as the peaks were being grabbed, I was always dissatisfied. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say if you're having trouble with drums, check your samples, check your balance, especially when you're using samples. Um, like we said before, they're so cooked that a bunch of compression isn't necessarily what's going to make them sound amazing mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind Probably of the, make that, them sound worse. That's the icing on the cake. If you have like a nicely balanced and you just take like a decibel off even just mm-hmm. to get a little bit of extra movement mm-hmm. and gel, but really like you'll end up doing more harm than good with all these mm-hmm. cook samples already. Mm-hmm. Like especially vengeance stuff, man. Oh yeah. It's cook stuff. Yeah. Sounds good. Cook. Yeah. Like it sounds, it sounds great right out of the sample pack. Yeah. But cool. yeah, don't overthink it, guys. Just do what you think is great. You know, know what workflow works for you. Yeah. And hey, overcook shit for a little while too and see how yeah. it sounds. And then go back in the mix, like print two copies, like cook a mix, go back to it the next day, take all the plugins off, print it pretty much dry yeah. just with the samples and see which one you like better. I guarantee you're going to hear radical differences and it's going to teach you a lot about your music. Cool. Sweet. Um, all right. That's it. All right, guys. Until the next time, peace out. Peace, guys. <laughs>